the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. ...of 10 o'clock as uh, we roll onward toward 11. Mike Gallagher will be coming up then. Thanks to Michael Johns for joining us last half hour. We're going to pivot now to a different matter on this Wednesday, the second morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2019. We're going to talk about policing in America and how much more difficult the job is uh, in 2019 than it ever used to be. And and by that, I'm I'm going back, of course, to the pre-Obama years when policing in this country was a little bit more uh, uh, appreciated, I think is the best way to say that. Barack Obama declared war on police almost from the beginning of his presidency in 2009 when he first declared the police acted stupidly for responding to a break-in at the call of a professor friend's home in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, from that point forward, virtually everything that the Obama Department of Justice did uh, by way of Eric Holder enforcing and instituting and mandating consent decrees with various cities around this country, to President Obama making statements about people like Trayvon looking like my son if I had one, sending contingents of uh, administration uh, members to funerals for people like Michael Brown, who tried to kill a cop and was killed in the process in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, ever since then. Policing in America has been more and more difficult. Crime rates are on the rise. Uh, cops are not able to interact. They are not able to uh, to uh, uh, to patrol effectively because they're afraid if they get out of things go sideways, they're the ones who are either going to be on trial, in prison, or dead um, because they will not have the support uh, uh, that they need. So we thought that might change in the age of Donald Trump because Donald Trump supports the president of the, or excuse me, Donald Trump supports police officers. The president of the United States has made that very, very clear. But yet here we sit. Virginia police officer has been suspended after turning over a suspected illegal alien to ICE. Made a legal traffic stop, asked for an identification, didn't have one, asked him his name, went and ran his name, found out there's a warrant. 
This warrant happened to be failing to appear for a deportation hearing. So he did his job and reported it to ICE, said this person was supposed to report for deportation. Got him right here. They came and picked him up. Officer now suspended. That's one of the police stories that we're going to ask Steve Loomis about now. Steve Loomis is the uh, is a Cleveland police detective, and he is the former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association. Speaks on uh, matters like this on Fox News on a regular basis, and uh, we're good, glad to have him here again on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Steve, how are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start with this one, um, Steve, because this, this kind of brings two... Uh, current stories in our society together that we have to deal with. One is, as I said, the uh, difficult job that it is to police in this country, to patrol, to deal with uh, criminals and thugs and potentially dangerous situations. And, and this one clashes right into it, intersects with the illegal immigration problem in this country and towns like perhaps and counties like Fairfax in Virginia that have, uh, that have uh, enacted um, sanctuary city status. And this particular cop did his job. And, and, and as a local law enforcement agent, he did his job and reported this up to the chain, up the chain to the federal law enforcement agency because they realized they had a federal crime here of illegal immigration and not showing up for a deportation hearing. He has now been suspended. Steve Loomis, how do you make sense of that? Uh, there is no sense to that, Bob. Um, sheriffs and chiefs have the right to say, hey, my guys aren't going to go out and actively look for illegal aliens. We're not going to participate in that. We're not going to go out and do that. But in this case, this guy came across this illegal alien and did exactly what he's supposed to do. Now, the chiefs and the sheriffs can't tell us to ignore the laws, whether they're federal, state, or local. We can't pick and choose. We don't have that luxury to pick and choose what laws we think are you know, kind of important and what laws we think are, well, maybe not so important. We don't have that luxury. Um, so that, that that sheriff out there is absolutely wrong. That officer, uh, if the FOP is out there or whoever's defending him, they're going to get his time back um, for this. This is not the, the chief. Of... The chief said this, Steve, and I did, I want you to respond to this. He called what the officer did here a lapse in judgment. He said, "Quote: This is an unfortunate issue where the officer was confused." Chief Edwin Rossler said, "We have trained on this issue a lot. This is the first time we've had a lapse in judgment, and the officer is being punished. Punished. Yeah. He's being punished for a lapse in judgment, which the lapse was to I don't know enforce the law. How the hell yeah. is it a lapse in judgment to enforce the law when you're wearing a badge that says law enforcement officer? I don't get that. Um, because it's coming from a politician, Bob. Plain and simple." Um, politics and politicians do not need to interject themselves into the criminal justice system. Every time that they do that, it erodes the system. Lady Justice is blind. Um, she's supposed to act the same for everybody, no matter who it is. In this case, this officer did not go out looking for somebody um, that was uh, an illegal alien. They didn't go out there and start knocking on houses or anything. I get that. Chief can say, yeah, we're not going to do that kind of stuff. But when you're in the course of your your daily business, if you come across somebody like that, you're absolutely legally obligated um, to to uh, arrest that person if there's a warrant, a legal warrant. And um, for the chief to insist any other any otherwise is just uh, irresponsible, and it just reeks of politics. And that's exactly what it is. Steve, let me pivot now to something that is far worse. Uh, I want to go to New York. Now, you, you know uh, and we're well aware, well aware of the New York Times uh, and who they are and what they are, but this is beyond the pale. Um, they ran an op-ed um, 
uh, I can't. I don't know if this was Monday or Sunday, but the response to it from a former uh, uh, New York police officer was yesterday. But the New York Times ran an op-ed that called police the problem. In fact, the headline is, the police can't solve the problem. They are the problem. Um, and, and it closes like this. There's a lot of really, we don't have time to read the entire thing, obviously. So I want to just read the conclusion of the article to get your reaction to it. Systems of oppression, it reads. Systems of oppression, like slavery, Jim Crow, and mass incarceration, must be reduced and abolished, not reimagined. Police officers, who primarily put people in cages, are the enforcers of mass incarceration. We must reckon with the reality that the police are part of the problem and stop investing money, power, and legitimacy in them. End quote. So, Steve, this was written... By Derek, uh, Der- Derica Purnell and Marbury Staley Butts, uh, for the New York Times. Um, okay. their attorneys and their, their purpose, according to the report, their purpose was focusing on the 1994 crime bill signed into law by then President Bill Clinton, and it deals with mass incarceration. And so their, their conclusion is that policing and putting people in cages um, is, is just like slavery and Jim Crow, and it must be stopped, and police officers must be delegitimized. Yeah, and that same policing probably made both of those attorneys very rich people. You know, um, that's just more political rhetoric. The vast majority, here in the city of Cleveland, Bob, there is not a neighborhood in this city where the vast majority of people are god-fearing law-abiding citizens and they want the police out there they need the police out there in fact when i go to these community meetings and i speak to folks and, and a lot of them they'll walk up to me in the store they'll be like they're not complaining about what we're doing here in cleveland they're complaining about where are you guys we don't see you anymore you're just going from all we see is police cars going around um the law-abiding citizens uh want us out there and they want more of us out there and they think that we're doing a great job, and they and and we are doing a great job with the resources that we have, um, it, and that's across the country. You know, why do you think they're having problem recruiting people um, because oh of gosh. all this nonsense and this rhetoric? New York Times is a tabloid anymore. It's unbelievable the things that the stories that come out of that that rag. Now Channel Eight is regurgitating them. You know, I saw this morning. It's just pathetic. Well, I, I did not see that. What did they say on Fox Eight? Uh, I, I, I don't know. They regurgitated. They did a story on uh, something that the New York Times put out, and it was just oh, okay. So it's probably on this because this is, yeah. Th- this Steve, this is um, this is drawing a lot of reaction. And uh, uh, former police officer Brandon Tatum was on Fox News talking about this, and he said this is absolutely ridiculous. It is damaging the reputation of law enforcement. I feel like in this country, this has just gone too far, end quote. Now, he's a former, oh, I'm sorry, he's not in New York City. He's a former Tucson, Arizona police officer, and he told Fox and Friends this. Um, because, I mean, I, I, Steve, as I said before you came on, <clears throat> what Barack Obama did, to uh, antagonize the general public against police, to to make police the enemy, uh, is something that is going to take a very long time, if it can ever be undone. But Donald Trump has come in as a strong supporter of police who has told America that, that the police are necessary and that the police are doing their jobs to protect them. He's trying his level best, and, and, and of course, with the new Justice Department not run by uh, anti-police uh, you know, cop haters, essentially, like Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch, he is supportive of police, 
But yet the American public, I just think this is too interwoven now into our society that if you see blue, you see the enemy. And and the example of that, Steve, is and the New York Times ran this piece just a few weeks after what we saw, which are citizens on thugs uh, on the streets of New York dousing cops with water and water balloons yeah. and dumping all, and throwing buckets at them and throwing other objects at them while they arrest people and enforce the law. So you mentioned recruiting. Who would ever want to go into police work in this country unless we find a way to turn back the clock to the pre-Obama era when cops were respected? Yeah. That, well, that that is the New York problem. Um, it wasn't the incident. We've always dealt with dummies, idiots, violent people. You know, that's that's never going to go away. But our response is different. Our response is different. The incident in New York um, fed into the fury because the cops just walked away from it and they didn't respond. And that emboldens the, uh, the the bad guys to continue it and to do it more and do it in other cities. Hey, they got away with it in New York, so we're going to do it here. These criminals are like little kids. They, they will take and take and take until someone stands up and says, no more. And um, so that was a, and, and probably those, and I'm not second guessing those cops in New York, who knows, there could have been 200 people around the two of them. You know, so if they did respond with uh, any type of uh, force, um, they might have had a bigger problem. We don't know what was going on there, but the optics were terrible. That those cops are just walking away, and you know, milk and and all this other stuff, and there was no response to it. That's the thing. And you know, when I was a young cop, we had a police car that was shot up down on the east side, and no cops were in it. But you want to know what the response was? Every shift, every day for the next month, was in and around that neighborhood. And we put the heat down in there. And guess what? We didn't have any more problems with police cars getting shot up. All right? You have to respond. You know, it's it's ugly business. But violence has to be responded to with violence. And and that's the bottom line. Um when you don't, what, what, what bothers me, Steve, what bothers me, Steve, is, is when I read, I read, uh, the closing of that article in the New York Times, uh, and they talked about how, uh, police are primarily, their job is putting people in cages. That's not their job. It's their not. job isn't yeah. to go out there and look for people to put in cells. Their job is to respond to people who are being victimized by criminals and to defend those victims. You guys, yeah. you detectives and your p- uh, patrol officers and everybody else who's <laughs> wearing a uniform or not but carrying a badge, your job isn't to look for people to lock up. Your job is to look for people in need of assistance to serve them, protect them, and and, and yeah. defend them. And and yet they're being painted. Uh, cops in New York and around this country are being painted as as being the evildoers who are just looking for innocent lives to ruin by, by throwing yeah. people in cages. I, I, it's yeah. unconscionable. Listen, here's, here's, here's a, a multiple-choice question. Every police officer in this country would, A, rather get in a police-involved shooting, B, uh, get hurt in some type of physical action with a suspect, or C, stop at the playground and start shooting hoops with some kids. What do you think the answer is? Um, the, the re- of course, it's to, to, to play with the kids and, and be out there. That's who we're there for. If the law-abiding citizens and the media and, and uh, Obama and Lynch and uh, Holder, they all forgot what we're out there for. 
You know, they're taking, we have a million interactions with citizens in this country, law enforcement does every single day, a million. And how many things um, do you hear about? You hear about Ferguson. Well, sorry. Right. Don't don't fight with don't fight with the cop over his gun. You won't get killed. How about we try that? You know, yeah. um, don't pull a gun out on a cop as you're running away. How about we try that? You know, how do we how do we change that though, Steve? Steve, how do we change that though from the media? Well, hold on, actually, I just realized what time sure. it is. It's it's ten twenty four. Uh, I got to get a quick time out here. I'm, you're right. I'm four minutes past here. Hold with me, Steve. I'll have two minutes for you on the back end to answer that last question. Steve Loomis, right back after this with us. Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. All right, I've got a couple more minutes now with Steve Loomis. Steve, we moved a couple of commercials to get a few more thoughts in here from you on this. By the way, these uh, individuals, that uh, uh, the two uh, lawyers who wrote this uh, piece for the New York Times, Dorica Purnell is a human rights lawyer, and Marbury Staley Butts is the executive director of the Law for Black Lives Network of Lawyers. <laughs> Yeah, so there's course. clearly, yeah, there's clear, clearly, you know, an agenda here, and and the agenda is social justice. And in order to achieve social social justice, uh, they want to they want to decrease the impact of police. They want to reduce the number of police officers. They want to delegitimize them, saying legi- literally, quote. Um, the problem is the legitimacy of police officers, so they want to delegitimize them. And, Steve, what they don't say is that the vast majority, since we're talking about this one lawyer representing the uh, 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 black uh, Law for Black Lives Network of Lawyers, that while the vast majority of the crimes in this country are committed by 13% of the population, in meaning uh, 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 black uh, suspects and black criminals, the, their victims are almost extr- exclusively black. So they're turning their back on the black population by not wanting to hold the black criminals accountable. They're allowing more black innocent people to be victimized uh, by reducing and and trying to destroy the impact of police. Absolutely, Bob. If they had gone, if they go down into the neighborhoods and talk to not people that are complaining to them, people that are complaining to them about the police have had a, some type of interaction with the with the cops. If they go down in any one of those neighborhoods, black, white, pink, purple, I don't care. And you go door to door and you start asking people about how they feel about the police. Do they need the police around? Do you want more police, less police? Look, law-abiding citizens want us there. They understand, like President Trump understands, that you have to have a, a solid, uh, 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 well-trained police force in order to have a safe community and, and uh, live your life the best as you can. Folks don't want to listen to all this rhetoric and all this nonsense that's going on. The only reason that we're listening to it is because the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, yeah. they're all pouting it. Um, so we hear it over and over again. The reality, and, and you had said 13% of the population, that's not actually correct number. It's 6% of the population. Um, males, uh, Black males between ages of 15 and 25 years old. Um, uh, yeah, that that is that is you're right. You're right. That is where the vast majority of crimes are committed. It's extraordinarily disproportionate to and, their and, uh, their general population. You're right. And Steve, I've only got a minute left, so let me hit this. You you said before, uh, what do you think cops would rather do on their shift? Go out there and engage in physical uh, altercations with people, or uh, enjoy a peaceful atmosphere and be able to go out and play basketball with some of the neighborhood kids? I want you to listen to this line for or a couple of lines from the article. 
Philanthropists okay. and politicians have called for more community policing. The idea of having police departments develop partnerships with community groups to ease tensions between law enforcement and residents. But community policing, these lawyers wrote, is an empty phrase. Um, a Washington Post report showed that law enforcement use of force increased in half of police departments with consent decrees, asking police officers to strengthen community relationships. You ready for this? Because you just brought this up. Included, including by doing things like playing football with children or handing out ice cream to kids, does not reduce their power to harm anyone. So your efforts to play basketball or football or to hang out with the kids and develop a friendly relationship with them still yeah. isn't good enough because you have the power, power to harm. I'll give you the last and, word, 60 seconds. And I know more. you're short of time, but here's the reality. In, in 2004 in the city of Cleveland, um, Jane Campbell had massive layoffs, 252 police officers. The, the, the first people that got transferred and moved were the guys and gals in community policing. Um, the helicopter no longer landed in the schools. The fire trucks never don't come out there. We are missing our kids. If we can't get to the kids and and develop those type of positive relationships, then we get what we got now. And and this is a direct result of poor leadership um, in, in these cities, not because the men and women of the police department um, don't want to do these things, these community engagement things. We don't have enough boots on the street to be able to do it effectively. And, and that's yep. the reality of it. So those, those are political issues it's not it's like there's no bad school but, but what they're but, but steve what they're saying is that even if you could have enough boots on the ground to community police and do these sorts of things they're saying yeah. it wouldn't do any good because the idea here is there are still too many of you there are too many cops in the communities they'd rather have fewer cops doing no community policing than have more cops actually reaching out like that because the existence of cops is grotesque to them the existence of cops yeah. is the problem uh well and, that's so serving prophecy for for people they yep. need to they need that controversy to justify their existence and put bread on their table it's just that that's, simple that's not the reality that we face every day out out in the streets with the good, God-fearing, law-abiding citizens. No, I, I, Stephen, I'm so glad to get you on to say that. I know you've got a lot of other things going on here, and you probably got another TV appearance coming up after all these things. But thanks for making the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Bob. Steve Loomis, uh, Cleveland Police Detective and former president of the CPPA on AM 1420. The Answer News Now. Your call's next on the Bob France Authority. Ten thirty-seven, rolling onward. Are we twenty-three minutes of outstanding, awesome left for you? Before we turn it over to Mike Gallagher, who turns it over to Dennis Prager, turns it over to Doctor G, Sebastian Gorka, who will uh, hand it to uh, Jay Seculo live, and then uh, the great Larry Elder. Um, speaking of Sebastian Gorka, a reminder: get your tickets. If you do not have them yet, get them because they are going to be gone very, very fast. I told you the uh, table. Uh, tickets would all be sold out very early, the uh, host table tickets. They were. And I'm telling you right now that the other VIP tickets for dinner at the event on November 21st are uh, not far behind. They're, they're going to be gone soon. Get them now at whkradio.com. The War for America Soul Tour. Hugh Hewitt, Dr. Gorka, Peter Kersnow, and I will be on stage 
But moreover, we'll be uh, with you uh, at dinner if you buy one of the dinner tickets, the VIP passes, at which you can get pictures taken with the hosts. You can uh, uh, talk with us and socialize with us before the dinner. You will uh, sit at your own table because, again, the host table tickets are sold out, but it's a great meal, and it's a great time to talk. And and generally, uh, you'll have some uh, moments where uh, particularly the national folks like you and Dr. Gorka will stand up and kind of talk personally to the uh, assembled crowd of VIP ticket holders before we take the stage for the general admission ticket holders as we discuss, well, everything. The march towards socialism in this country is on. The attempted coup d'etat against the President of the United States, Iran waging war, restricted free speech and religious rights, the war on cops, racial tensions. All of these domestic and global dangers we're fighting every single day. And uh, this is what we're doing. We're getting together to strategize. If you want to be there with us, get a ticket, whkradio.com. General admission or dinner tickets for the VIP event, all available at whkradio.com. Again, it's November 21st. Check your calendar. Make sure it's clear at the Holiday Inn Rockside in Independence. We would love to see you there. I want to go uh, back to the phones now, and uh, let's see who's been sitting here and being patient for us the longest. It looks like it's John and Chardon. On AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, John, go ahead. Hey, morning, Bob. Hey, I got a question for you. At the beginning of your program yesterday, did I hear you right? You were talking about President Trump wilting under the pressure uh, and the onslaught uh, from the Democrats. No, you didn't hear me right. Okay, all right, good. I'm glad to to hear that because I I see him thriving and, and... Kicking the stuff out of the Dems. I don't know what show you were listening to, my friend, but uh, no. Uh, as oh, a matter of fact, I, okay, I made a point. I, just, of, I made a. I made a point of playing his um, his thirty eight seconds of reassurance to the American people, and particularly to his supporters, that he is going to fight this attempt uh, uh, to essentially damage not only his office but the presidency in general. And he is not going down without a fight. I don't know how you misinterpret that, John. You got to listen more closely, my friend. Thanks for the call, Gary in Olmstead Township. Next, hi, Gary. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Hey, uh, for no other reason, they have as many uh, Cleveland police officers uh, as we can have is to protect us uh, from uh, Mayor Frank Jackson's grandkids. (laughs) Well, um, I I don't want to go there and go that far, but uh, yeah, his grandkids have been in trouble with the law in some form or another for a while, and he has seemingly done everything and more. Then what's in his power to protect them and to aid them, uh, the spending two million taxpayer dollars on a dirt bike track so the thugs, uh, sons who want to weave in and out of traffic don't cause people to die on those things. Uh, we all know about that. And yes, his interference, and in my opinion, that is exactly what it was, interference with a murder investigation, the most recent situation, at his home, while his son's uh, grandson's truck was being towed, his murder investigation, not allowing the police to record, not allowing the police to uh, take uh, his grandson down to the station for questioning, saying, you can question him right here, and that's it. That is, in my view, textbook interference with a police murder investigation, and he himself, honestly, uh, we all know he does not have officers' backs. We all know he is ready and willing to pay out taxpayer dollars to uh, families uh, of police-involved shootings, even when the officers are found to have been not responsible and to have been acquitted or of any charges. He's, he's paying families, making cops look guilty. So I, I know you were being a little tongue-in-cheek with what you said, but I really felt like we should run down his litany of yep. anti-police activities. And I thank you for that. And, 
Bob, that was, uh, as you pointed out, there was a clear obstruction of justice. There's no and, doubt about uh, it. To, right. He ought to pay for that. All right, Bob, you have a the, the sad th- blessed day. Thank you, Gary. You have a blessed day as well. The, the sad thing is, <clears throat> about Mayor Jackson, since we're on that, the sad thing is that he won't pay a price. The voters of the, of the city of Cleveland are so bleeping stupid, they've elected this clown four times. And they'll elect him a fifth. And I'm sorry. I'm talking to my friends. I'm talking to my friends and my listeners in the city of Cleveland. And yes, I'm telling you, collectively, if not individually, collectively, the population of Cleveland is so stupid, they'll elect him again. He's anti-police. He's anti-law and order. He is uh, pro-criminals, pro-criminals families. And he's made an embarrassment of the city. Fortunately, there are a lot of developers and other individuals in, in the private sector who have done some amazing work to really kind of renovate the city, fortunately. But they're working in, in, in spite of Frank Jackson, not with him or not because of him. That city council and that mayor, and I'm sorry I'm getting a little bit hyper-local here, but um, uh, it's an embarrassment. What they're doing to that city is an embarrassment. And the idea that it's able to grow the way that it has, in, in some respects, not in terms of improvement of quality of life, uh, especially for people living in the uh, in the inner city, because the crime rate is through the roof, the homicide rate is through the roof because of all of the things that I've just described. described. But from an attraction standpoint, from a business growth standpoint in certain sectors, um, thankfully, a lot of private investors have been able to do some great things there in spite of city leadership, not because of it. Sorry to get off on the rant, but uh, there it is. Uh, Frank in Brook Park is next on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Frank. Go ahead. Thank you. Hey, uh, well, whatever happened to Ryan Morrow? He was always did a marvelous job, and you would talk to him when he'd call you. He still does a he still does a marvelous job. Ryan's schedule is a little bit tighter, so he asked uh, to to you know kind of have him on a little less frequently when his schedule allows. He does come on, but uh, we were doing a weekly with him, and he said it was just too difficult with his travel schedule because he has so many things that he's in uh, into with uh, uh, the Clarion Project. So uh, so Ryan is still uh, definitely a guest on this program. He's just not a weekly. Okay, well thank you. I'm glad he's okay. Yes, sir. Second thing. Okay, second thing. Saturday is the first Saturday, October 5th, and we meet at the uh, Benedict and Abbey at 8.30 a.m. Services begin there, confessions and mass. And then uh, we also go then right from there to 12,000 Shaker Boulevard, the abortion chamber. And I'm yes, inviting sir. people. And we have a great time. There's a great brunch after we come back. We go back to the Benedict and Abbey for the brunch after we pray 15 decades of the rosary. So everyone's invited for this Saturday, October 5th, beginning at 8.30 at the Benedictine Abbey, and then we go together, and we carpool, by the way, it's the easiest way to go down there. So anyone that doesn't know the area, you can ride with us from the Benedictine Abbey. Just bring uh, it up at the end, at the end uh, of the Mass. I so love, okay. Frank, when, yes, yes, sir, uh, definitely okay, more than okay. I was about to say, I so love when you call me with that reminder uh, of what you're doing at the first Saturday of every month and meeting for Mass, and as you say, services, confession, and then going down to the uh, uh, to the murder chamber. It's uh, it's it's so glorious yeah. that you do this. I mean that very much. Thank you for reminding everybody, and, and I hope we get more people uh, every time that you do. 
Thank you. Thank you, sir. God bless. I appreciate it. Um, Sister Mary Grace is calling us from Old Brooklyn now on AM fourteen twenty. I love the, answer. the Good police. Morning. I love all my police in Cuyahoga County. They're honorable, excellent, and wonderful people, and I am so blessed by them. But I'm telling you, they are the first responders. They run to the wounds, and they are excellent people. And I got the liberty to pray over them. All the new cadets, when I was doing jury duty, 1,200 Ontario, marvelous. They were so fine, and they are. I'm always praying for you, Bob. Well, sister, I appreciate that, and uh, and I'm glad to know that some people are willing to be publicly supportive of the police because, as I noted before, not enough of them are. Um, I've got more, and I'm going to share after my uh, time out here. I've got more from that article in the New York Times that is just beyond infuriating, written by two liberal lawyers who have decided that race um, and social justice mean more than the defense of innocent victims. Defending innocent people against the violent attacks of dangerous criminals um, means nothing to them. Defending people means nothing, because defending people means using police officers to hold the guilty people accountable, and they don't want police officers. They not only believe in abolishing ICE, as so many liberal Democrats in uh, Washington, D.C. and around this country do, they believe in abolishing local law enforcement as well, because local law enforcement puts people in jail, and the people they put in jail are the criminals, and the people who are committing, committing the crimes are demographically unappealing to these people. The New York Times ran this op-ed comparing police officers to slave catchers, comparing them to uh, uh, officers uh, uh, in the pre-civil rights era, in Jim Crow, uh, the Jim Crow era. They did this at a time when cops are being attacked on a routine basis, particularly in the city in which the New York Times is published. They're attacked, throwing things at them while they make arrests, dumping things on them, sometimes water, sometimes more, sometimes concrete milkshakes. And this is the way that they respond to that is to continue to demonize cops. What do they think? that the thugs in New York City who see these headlines, and they're too stupid to read, they can't read the entire articles, but they're going to take the headline, quote, the police can't solve the problem, they are the problem, and say, yeah! It will embolden them and encourage them to continue and, in fact, increase their attacks on police officers. I'll uh, share more of that with you after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France. Here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1053. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Just a few more minutes here before the top of the hour. I want to read a little bit more of the... Uh, Quite frankly, it's just the, the, the unconscionable comments in this New York Times op-ed. I cannot believe they agreed to run this from two liberal uh, social justice lawyers. Um, headline, the police can't solve the problem. They are the problem. They're pointing back 
to the crime bill that was passed in 1994, which, uh, of course, was an attempt to uh, clean up the streets uh, and, and hold people accountable and hope that uh, locking more people up for crimes uh, would, would deter crime, which is certainly sensible. And it did. It did exactly that, despite the fact that they tried to twist the logic and twist the results here in this article. Uh, quoting for you, did the plan work? The Government Accountability Office concluded that while there was a 26% decline in overall crime from 93 to 2000, when that bill first went into effect, 26%, they want to, uh, they want to twist the facts and say that only 1.3% of that decline could be attributed to additional police officers. In other words, what they're saying is we need fewer cops on the streets. Fewer cops on the streets will lead to fewer arrests. Fewer arrests means less, quote, mass incarceration, which they um, conclude is the same thing as slavery and the same thing, thing as Jim Crow. Uh, it is simply, again, unconscionable. Um, President Trump probably emboldened these people to some extent by signing the First Step Act last year, which is essentially a reversal of that 1994 bill, <clears throat> in large part. Um, for some people who have been following this closely, it's nothing more than a jailbreak bill. It allowed a lot of people who were duly uh, incarcerated and legally incarcerated and justifiably incarcerated to be set, uh, uh, let out early uh, in an attempt to, again, appease social justice warriors. And I do understand. I do understand the president wants to reach out to all Americans and try to expand the base, et cetera, et cetera. And this is part of that, reaching out to social justice warriors. But it is a mistake. It was a mistake when the president signed it. I said it then, and I'll continue to say it now. We need more police officers on the street, not less. And guess what? We are getting fewer. And we're getting fewer because fewer police departments are able to recruit and to retain (coughs) recruitment and retention of officers. (coughs) Excuse me is shrinking to all-time lows in many American cities, and not just the big dangerous cities, the Clevelands, Detroits, Oaklands, Chicagos, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, even in suburban uh, departments. They cannot recruit enough people. Who wants to put on a, on a blue uniform and a badge and be subjected to the harassment that these people are for relatively paltry pay, putting themselves on the line to protect people and to be told, no, you're nothing more than a slave catcher. You, your job is to lock people up in cages, not to protect people. Who wants to do that? Who wants to put themselves at risk of either not going home at all to their family at the end of the day or going home but then realizing they have to report to court the next morning because they're on trial for their lives for using force to defend themselves or other innocent people? Policing in America is in a very precarious position now, and I refuse to let days day after day after day go by without acknowledging these things. And we need to hold people like these lawyers and the New York Times accountable. All right, uh, Mike in Bay Village. Sorry about the delay there, Mike. I promised it, and I wanted to deliver some of that, but I uh, got a couple of minutes for you. Go ahead. Hey, no problem. I agree with everything you're saying about the New York Times article. Real quick on the uh, president's tweets. I know sometimes they drive you crazy. But uh, it was either you or Hugh Hewitt about a year and a half ago had on a guy from the Cruz campaign who, after they lost, studied Trump and tried to figure out what the Trump organization was doing and why they were tweeting like they were. And one of the things they came up with was when he tweets something a little crazy, if you wait two or three weeks, it usually comes true. For instance, when he tweeted about being wiretapped, that was number one. 
So me and a group of friends started following this and started looking at it, and that's exactly the strategy that goes on. So when you see something a little crazy, wait two, three, four, eight weeks, and it usually comes true because he's already got the It's, it's not the crazy things, though, because I agree with you. There have been some things that have cleared up later on, and you realize why it was done. But there are other things where you can just tell he's not thinking. For example, when he used Twitter yesterday to congratulate President Xi of China uh, on 70 years of the People's Republic of China. He's congratulating a communist regime on, on violating the, the human rights of people in their communist country. That's not something thing you celebrate they're the enemy in that regard uh also last month when he congratulated um uh poland on the anniversary of being invaded and overrun by the nazis you don't congratulate that you don't say great job you happy anniversary you say our hearts are with you on this solemn day so there are some things when he just tweets without thinking those are the ones mike that drive me nuts they just don't sound good they don't make him look good and those are the ones that i wish he would get more control over that's where I'll have to leave it for now. And I thank you so much for your call and the great points that you made. Thanks to Steve Loomis and thanks to uh, Michael Johns, my guest. Uh, thanks to the crew. And uh, we're out. Stay right here on AM 1420. The answer for Mike Gallagher, who's coming up next. Stay all day and all night if you're looking for common sense conservative talk. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.